Hello and welcome to the Marketing Retro Podcast, where Josh and Adrian talk about different marketing topics on our mind. Today, we have something interesting on our mind in addition to a guest. Adrian, do you want to talk about what's on your mind and introduce our guest? I do. So we have Camille Rexton from, okay, Camille, settle something. Is it 42 slash agency? Is it 42 agency? Is it slash 42 agency? He's shaking his head. It's slash 42 agency. Now, what? tell, tell us yeah. your agency name, Camille. So it started out as 42 plus agency okay. because I wanted to have the 42 as a parent brand and the agency as a separate sub brand. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I'm too ambitious. And so then I'm just like 42. Everybody call it 42 agency. SEO wise, it's better to call it 42 agency. Okay. That's what yeah. I thought. And Josh and I had previously talked about the name. We're like, wait a second. Maybe we don't actually know what the name is. So we have Camille from 42 agency here. And the reason that we have him on today is because Josh and Camille we're having a Twitter conversation that basically wrapped us all up. And we thought, okay, this needs to go off of Twitter. It's a little bit more nuanced. But I have a question. Let me read the tweet for our listeners, just so we get an idea. Camille said, I have this half-baked thought with zero data or thoughtful insights, which I love when Camille's like, let me just share what's on the top of my brain with you. This whole build a media company slash creators and et cetera was a zero interest rate phenomenon. Does anyone else feel that way or am I completely missing the point? So first like level set question is, what did you mean when you said, is it a zero rate, zero interest rate phenomenon? What does that mean? So we were in a bull market for the past 10-ish years where tech stocks were flying high, COVID even bumped them even higher. People were investing in the stock market. Everybody was making money. You looked like a genius. Crypto was at all-time high. Like everything was just going upwards. And I think that led to a place where there was a lot of money in the venture capital ecosystem. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of money that people didn't know where to put it. Our companies had a lot of money. They didn't know where to spend it. So I don't want to say they were doing stupid stuff, but they were taking riskier bets. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Overhiring. Yeah. So they, they hired a bunch of people during COVID because everything was great. And then when things start to normal and we entered the bear market where tech stocks were like collapsing, Shopify went from like 3000 to 60 bucks. So and I'm, I have Shopify uh. stocks, so that hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Money was cheap, essentially, is what a zero rate phenomenon means. Yes, yes. Means. Interest rates were okay. near zero. So it was cheap to borrow and make like borrow money from banks and everything. Right. And then yet you've created this to the, you connected it to the creator economy. So let's flesh that out a bit. Josh, like what were some of your thoughts around that? You said, I can see some nuance, but I don't know if it's 100% accurate. (laughs) Well, the reality is we never really got into a conversation just because he put this out there. I made one comment and basically I said, I don't agree. (laughs) But then he's like, oh, I'd love to talk more about this. I'm like, this was, I think this was Sunday afternoon. I'm like, I don't want to do this over text. And this is going to be a nuanced conversation. Let's first make sure we're all talking about the same thing. And I'm like, let's do this on the pod. So yeah. hence, here we are. So here we are. I'll start with, I do agree everything what you guys said in terms of zero interest rate uh, environment. I would say, I, I think you meant this, Camille, like the phenomena, meaning like here are some things that happened because it was zero interest rate environment. That's the phenomena. It's like, what are the... What are the things that wouldn't happen uh, otherwise, right? So, um, and and he's pointing to saying that he thinks, you know, the media company or building, I don't know, what what is that term? It's just like building building your building your SaaS like a media company or marketing as a media uh, type yeah. of angle. 
Um, and then also, and or the creator economy. I think there's there's some tie-ins between the two. I yes. I kind of separate them a little bit in my mind, but I do think they have some heavy crossover as well. So I would define the creator economy as, you know, YouTubers, TikTok, like anyone that is really an individual creating usually content, whether it's video, TikTok, whatever else, they may be on a platform like YouTube, they might be off platform, or they might be doing it on Twitter, and then they try to hopefully build an audience outside where they're selling courses, maybe a software, uh, they have a newsletter, this is where Substack reigns, and all these other areas, you know, you can have pay providers like, a, you know, uh, convert kit, whatnot. So in my mind, that's, that's the creator economy. It's the power of the individual being the face of the brand, being out there doing their thing and uh, building their own audience and hopefully monetizing it in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Like Mr. Beast or whatever have you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. And, and then Agreed the media company side, the typical is, I mean, I think we've all heard of like the hustle as like a, probably a, a prime example, like HubSpot buying like a media wing or, and that's also similar to any, you know, publication sites that are, have been doing content, but on the, I would say on the content wheel, so to speak, as a, as a company, as a corporate, like a Buzzfeed or anyone yeah. that is out there just constantly creating content, but usually as a, as a company, but I think a lot of SaaS brands start to took, take an angle towards, Hey, if we can own a distribution channel, own Mindshare yeah. on a topic or whatever, like that's, that's, that's the, the angle for trying to be like a media company. One agreed. Okay. So how do you think they're connected <laughs> in terms of the zero <laughs> interest rate in those two? So I don't think they're connected, but uh, yeah. explain so what, what, where you think the connections are. My hypothesis is that there was zero interest rate. People had a lot of money to spend. Brands had a lot of money to spend. The way that creators make money is with sponsorship deals and brand sponsorships. So they had money in the bank. They were not sure where to spend it. So they were like, oh, Adrian, you have a lovely newsletter with 5,000 subscribers. I'm going to give you 10,000 bucks to place an ad. Be mm -hmm. And I think it's related because there was an excess of money and they were like, we have maxed out our paid channels. We have maxed out our SEO. Let's go to sponsoring newsletters, which do not have a direct, like they're not, like I've sponsored newsletters last year and I'm like consciously not doing it this year because we didn't get anything out of it. So. Mm. And the media... Did you though? Like, like, I don't know, like uh, you sponsored uh, Corey's, right? Um, Corey's was great, but we sponsored a bunch of So that's of where I heard of you. That's actually where I heard of you. Like I saw 42 Agency in the top of a lot of this, you know, swipe well or swipe file emails. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it, it rang a bell. So that was an exception to <laughs> the, like we sponsored seven of them and like Corey's was the only one and we actually got a deal out of it. So like, you know, it paid for itself. But I would not do it again this year. Like I'm still sponsoring Corey's because I love it. I love what he does, but we are not sponsoring. Like, you know, I get pitches from people. Hey, I saw you sponsor Corey's newsletter. Would you consider him? I'm like, no, sorry. I'm not like, mm -hmm. I'm just not. Because I think there was this environment where there was too much money in the system. So people were taking more riskier bets, which did not have a direct line to revenue. So like, oh, so people meaning businesses. So businesses, businesses were flushed yeah. with cash. So they were yeah. just placing bets all over the place. They're just throwing money at people, basically. And I think that also led to this other thing where it's like, hey, creators are the next 
media marketing b2b whatever whatever and i think like we went too far left field on that mm. and i think things are coming back to like a bit more sanity because when i think about like creators and b2b creators media b2b i just don't think they work that well because like and you're going <laughs> to so like okay right. let me take a step back so like <laughs> the there's a guy on twitter you probably all know him i'm not going to name him but like there's a couple of people guys mostly on twitter who are like writing these clickbait engagement bait shit and like they're like oh blah 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 i went without my shoes and I, and like they get a bunch of comments and stuff right mm-hmm. and they make money by selling other people courses on how to do the exact same thing right now in an environment where there's less money in general people are getting laid off jobs a lot of people are like i don't have time for this shit i just need a fucking job so i can make money like right uh, like i'm not fucking building sorry am i um, is it okay if i like oh, sorry it is yeah, now no. <laughs> or, and we don't really do I'm, many edits so it's all be good. yourself camille just be yourself i just I'm, with kids i can't drop i can't say these words so like it just comes out during adult conversations <laughs> <laughs> so i think there was this um And then with the media company stuff, I think ProfitWell did it really well. And like, yes, I'm not saying... Yes, that's who I think of. Mm-hmm. But ProfitWell operated in a very niche market and it's a brand exercise beyond anything. Like a lot of people talk about media company, this and that. I'm like, that's just your top of funnel content mm-hmm. that you're going to like, don't call it media. Like if you're an actual media company, be like BuzzFeed or something that monetizes their audience through ads. For a SaaS company, you monetize your customers through the product. Like your main vehicle for commercial economic stuff is the product so like everything has to be in service of the product for a buzzfeed the product is the content for a saas company the product is the product the software product so i think the equation changes a little bit where you're not trying to like with a buzzfeed it's a matter of scale so like you have to reach a certain number of eyeballs to be able to monetize them with saas i like i have this like when was the last time you we went to a saas company's website and went to their blog and were like oh yeah this is so good like and i don't think the media stuff changed that they just like brought a subreddit domain and they talk about the same stuff but they just like make prettier graphics and build a you know build a custom blog or whatever but the it's at the end of the day it's still content marketing that's maybe more top of funnel focused and i think we wrote this as on 42 slash but like your audience is not always your customers so like i might be tangentially interested in i don't know pricing software like profitable example but i'm never going to be a customer and i think mm-hmm. when we talk about marketing as a media company it takes away the focus from the bottom line and for marketing you have to be always keep your eye on the ball because i might have 100,000 subscribers of random people who might never buy my software and that's not valuable to me but i can if i can get 10000 people who might buy my software at some point in time that's extremely valuable because i can then build that relationship with them over time they might not be buying today but they might buy in 6 months 12 months 18 months whatever have you mm-hmm. so that's where sort of my head was at when i tweeted that is like because we were in an environment where money was cheap it was easy to like to me i was i never i never listened to that hubspot po- podcast but like When I listen to it it's all just hubspot ads and to me that was this hubspot buying an extremely expensive ad network for to place their ads in like mm-hmm. that was that to me like was the first thing that came to my head it was like oh they just bought an ad network because they probably maximized all their exist they probably saturated all the channels anyway 
So for them at that scale, it might make sense. But for other people, I don't think it makes sense. I don't think the hubs, I think HubSpot is going to write off that investment. It's like, I don't think they publicly share it. Maybe in their financials, they might in the quarterly earnings, but I don't for like, just from an outsider, completely armchair analysis point of view, that was a bad investment because essentially just buying an ad network and the people listening to that podcast may or may not be HubSpot customers. They probably already have heard of HubSpot. You're just trying to, it's like you're trying to sponsor the Super Bowl when you're like B2B company that sells to accountants and like mm-hmm. you're trying to get a wide reach when your market is actually like much, much smaller. That's sort of interesting. But it almost sounds like then what you're saying is that the, creating a media company is basically like brand awareness. Like that's the point of the top of the funnel thing. And the economy we're currently in companies don't have as much extra to devote yep. to brand awareness. It has to flow at down that scale. the funnel. Yep. Yeah, yeah, at that scale. And, you know, I, I agree when you think of, you know, a B2B SaaS company needs to be a media company. The company I think of is ProfitWell too. Like, but I'm in the same boat. Love their content, cheer it on all the time. App have no business buying the product. I, I don't use it. You know, it's not something I need. Um, so it did do a good job, like creating a brand. But when you think about, you mentioned HubSpot, like they, the kind of content they create is so vast and like broad. It's just basically anything, if any marketers ever asked any question or interested in any kind of topic, then HubSpot's going to write about it. And so yeah. but I think they can do that because they are so big. They've got so many yeah. people and they hire other people to come in and write too. Um, and so... But for a smaller startup, for because often who Josh and I are talking to are like the one-person marketing teams, things like that. Um, what kind of approach maybe should they be taking if if they want to think like a media company or if they are trying to focus on content or something like that? Where can they go if they're seeing all these big examples of huge successes and now that's no longer probably realistic? What are yeah. some options they have? I would, I'm going to say something controversial, focus on the Ooh. bottom of the funnel. Like, don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about brand awareness. Don't worry about media company. Don't worry about top of funnel stuff. Just hammer the bottom of the funnel. Like you have to, especially in the environment we're in, where market is getting laid off left and right. Yeah. If you go to the board or the CEO and you're like, I want to build a media company because we need more brand awareness. They'll be like, listen here, <laughs> like we need to, we need more, we need more leads in the funnel before we can like, you know, we need to mm-hmm. generate revenue. Like Mark, I think, and this is a tangent, but I think marketers like to market so much to other marketers that we f- sometimes forget that like the end of the day, it's all about like, are you getting customers or not? Yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't do brand awareness. Like I'm a big believer in if nobody knows about you, have, nobody's going to buy from you. First to mind, first to buy, easy to mind, easy to buy, whatever. So you have to do some brand stuff, but I think it has to be in a controlled way and it has to be measured rigorously. It can't be Mm -hmm. just wishful thinking. Like there's a lot of this, again, another tangent, sort of related, but like this hate on gated content lately. Hey, you shouldn't get your content. So I'm like, it's fine. If I have a 12 month sales cycle, it's a way for me to build relationship with my audience. It's a way for me to understand who's consuming this content. It's, I'm not saying you should get an ebook. You should take a blog and repackage it into a PDF and like, a form on it but if it's like hey like we were talking to a customer that's selling into it if it's like an it checklist for security whatever something i don't know something something it's very yeah. practical it helps me do my job better by all means put a form on it because the person who's going to download that piece of content is going to be the person you want to sell to 
Right. So you have to like sort of take that into context. Don't get like the top 10 tips for IT managers to, I don't know, build their Mac, whatever. I'm just making stuff up. Yeah. But I think there's there's like a nuance to that conversation too. So like, I think this media company thing focuses too much. Like to me, when people say media company and maybe Ronnie, if you're listening to the podcast, he might yell at me or maybe he might agree with me. <laughs> Uh, the media thing, I think it's just a repackaging of uh, the top of funnel that we've always talked about. The awareness, top of funnel, SEO, whatever. Like media, actual, so I'm a media nerd. I listen to like a lot of media, like rebooting and record media and all these things. And like, they talk a lot about SEO because media companies actually need to get traffic and scale. When B2B marketers talk about it, we talk about making, not, you know, like a podcast. And I'm like, yeah. But podcasts are so hard to distribute. It's very hard to get listens. The only way I discover new podcasts is through other podcasts. Like I'm listening to a podcast and there'll they'll be an ad about another Vox media podcast that I should listen to. I'm like, oh, New York Times or whatever. So I think that like you shouldn't be doing podcasts. Don't do videos. Just focus on what's bringing in revenue. Focus on the high intent keywords that you should be ranking for. And then, yes, interview your customers and focus on what the problems you're trying to solve. Yes. So I think you bring up a good point. So I wanted to get back to, you know, the talk about HubSpot and what they did in this. And I think it was actually, I I would not agree that it'll be a write-off. I think they gained a lot out of it from, from like, you just brought the point of like, Hey, they, they didn't start out as a network. Like they had one good podcast that was like, but what they did after that is they did create their own work after that. Like they went and sponsored other podcasts. They they I think they built just a pretty solid like network effect within it. So they are advertising and cross feeding a lot of these other podcasts and and bringing more people into the fold. You know they are taking the true approach of like a media company. I would argue that maybe the um, the profit well stuff wasn't really media company esque. I think it was in spirit, but it is it is like they took a lot of stuff they're already doing on the blog and made great like video content. And then they started to make stories. They started to do other other, I think, other formats on top of that. But in terms of I don't know, I don't know enough about how they did it as like a you know, is it was it really comparable to like stuff BuzzFeed was doing and things like that? I know they did series and things like that as well, but um, anyway, that one's up for debate as well, but I would say the media company parts with HubSpot, cause they also basically bought like a refined playbook, right? Like you can see all the stuff they're doing now. They bought the playbook, they bought insiders. They also have that massive email newsletter. So it really was like getting to the right customers, like, cause they were, you know, getting entrepreneurs, getting people aware of HubSpot. And especially at a time where they were growing their CRM footprint to, to compete with Salesforce. Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to be, who, how many people had their first CRM be HubSpot because of all of those types of things. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I feel like it was a good move. I don't, I think possibly that them buying the media company was part of, I mean, they also IPO, they also were flushed with cash and doing well with other reasons. So I don't, I wouldn't necessarily tie the zero interest rate phenomenon to that. I do think, media company as a tactic, I I wouldn't think it necessarily came out of the zero rate thing. I think it is just a nuance of people being like, hey, look at all these people like BuzzFeeds and whatever. Everyone else from a content marketing perspective, 
like you said, it's awareness, it's top of funnel. How can we take it to comedy? How can we take it to other aspects of people's lives, meet them where they are, but also brand attach it, right? Like we're at the yeah. end of it. We're just sponsoring it. We're here. You know about us now. And I think it was a good nuance, especially for people that went too much in the trenches, went too bottom of the funnel, went too much towards SEO content. And you got the content marketers going like, can we just talk about something that is not keyword related? Like, please, <laughs> we have a lot of other good things to say, opinions, and how can we do that in a consistent format? So I think both these things, the media one and the creator existed. Did they get fueled by more money in the system and added to it? Because people were doing creator economy stuff well before this time period. It was just a little weirder and <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's just people maybe ignored them more or the algorithms didn't boost them, right? Like that's, I think the yeah. other part of what has happened lately is whether it's the TikTok algorithm, then making that Twitter does a similar thing. And now Instagram with reels and all yeah. these people feeding the algorithms because they were flushed with so many people that yeah. how do you cut through the noise to get people to stay on platform other than just listening to their friends? Like the algorithm started picking up what's popular and that's what kind of had fed. So someone that could say something controversial could get people into the fold, get them to follow. Then also talking about things like money or whatever, you're, you're going to attract people like, like, you know, like flies to <laughs> whatever fruit that they want, but they're going to come in and say, Oh, and how do I do this? Oh, great. Like it's just, everyone had more time and I think interest. And I think that definitely added fuel to the fire, but I wouldn't say they were the, either of them were anomalies or they definitely got sparked by, by the zero interest rate. So. So I see the creator economy almost completely separate from B2B. Like it feels like it's maybe B2B, B2C, you know, I'm thinking of like the large creators that I know who have newsletters, who are teaching courses there, maybe they get a few sponsorships from a brand or a company, or maybe, um, you know, they'll get paid for a workshop from a company. But the most part of where most of their income comes from is either like the people paying membership dues to their community or the people um, buying their courses who are more individuals trying to either, they're, maybe they're using their stipend or their like their customer, you know, fund of education or their own personal money. Um, I know when I've bought from creators, it's always just been, oh, that's what I'm interested. In. I'm going to throw like whatever, 500 bucks that way. Um, and so it almost feels like the creator economy is trying to pull itself out of being connected to the B2B or the zero interest phenomenon. Like, do you guys see creators in that light or is you think I'm coming from a different spot? I, I think there's something there, but I'm also seeing a lot of B2B companies trying to hire creators. Oh, so, and I think that's, I don't know how that's going to pan out, to be honest. I <laughs> could go either way. I mean, if we take something like Notion, like Notion mm -hmm. has some TikTok stuff. People post Notion TikToks. Fantastic because it's like a B2C-ish, almost like I can use it in my daily consumer, life. Consumer, yeah, yeah. Consumer product. So like, I think it makes sense. Like what I'm, where I'm coming from is more like mid-market enterprise or actual SMB Mm. Where, like, I am not on TikTok and, like, I'm not seeing a video about how to use Salesforce, you know. And I don't think right. I should because that's not yeah. the place for it. Right. So, and the going back to what Josh said, I, 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 yes, definitely think you have a point. But for me, it's like, 
HubSpot bought that email list or whatever audience or whatever for X amount of million dollars. And I feel like it was a very expensive, like, <laughs> like paying so much money for an email list. Like, I guess at that scale, you were like, yeah, fine. I have so much money. I have scale on like all my other channels. We have maxed out our SEO efforts. And then you're like, what's next? And I think that's the next growth curve. I totally agree. Like there was something there for them, but I just feel like it was, I don't know the valuation that they bought it at was probably like loftier. And like there was an example about JP Morgan or some bank buying some newsletter and it turned out like 80% of them were fake. So (gasps) no. Yeah. It was like, it was all fake emails. They got like, they sent an email. It was like, 100% 100% bounce rates or something. They didn't do a due diligence before they purchased? Like you didn't check spam or, oh, mm. that doesn't seem very wise. And it seems like this whole thing happened because we're in this hype about creators and media and all that stuff. And we're like, everybody's trying to become the next whatever. Yeah. I can like I can see there's like, you know, Robin Hood buying some... Motley, F- Motley Fool or some blo- blog or content piece media company or like some publication about stocks and finance makes sense because then you're like but it, to me at the end of the day it becomes an ad placement like that's like it's a very overly simplified look way of looking at it but like I imagine like you go to a blog that's owned by Robinhood and you see Robinhood ads over there and you yeah. try to funnel people from that property to Robinhood so like no other people can insert their ads on your property so like that's how I sort of see it I'm not saying it's wrong, like, but I'm just saying like we have to sort of bring it back to earth. I think we yeah. got too caught up in the hype. Okay. My, my only counterpoint, s- I would say. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, go. I was going to say, I can see it only um, like the buying the ad space. I can see the benefit if you are like, I'm not buying email lists. I'm buying an audience. I'm buying an engaged group of people, um, you know, but then also at the same time, like I would totally... You know, if you look at media companies right now and how media companies are performing and how many are going under, it may not be a great model to like, you know, model yeah. after. It's not really the best. They're not doing so great. And they haven't really been doing great for, you know, 10 years. If you think about newspapers and things like that. So, yeah. Interesting. What were you going to say, Josh? I was just going to say it's, yeah, I think it's definitely more than the email list because they bought a lot of trust i think they have a comp they had a conference they had a they had uh what's the steph smith ran that wing of the what's it called it's one of the <laughs> essentially it's like a membership they had a community as well oh, so it's like yeah, a bunch as a right it was a bunch of things for people starting businesses and business ideas and different things like that so I think it, it it was more than an email list. And they also bought the team that was like super connected to all of this stuff. Now, some of them have moved on or have done other things, but they bought that like playbook because they weren't good at that stuff before, right? They And then they tied in all their other podcasts. They brought, they sponsored other podcasts. I think Adrian, before we were even starting, you know, there was the HubSpot creator network thing that they've kind of shut down now. Like they're not investing as much in, but you see, uh, different creators uh, that that got sponsorship through them as part of their network and some things like that. Now, you're right. Like, who knows if it was actually beneficial or how much it will yield for them, but they bought a lot of mindshare for, for a long period of time and they still have it. They own the asset. How much of yep. what did they have spent to get that during that period? And the only other counterpoint I would say is, I think they bought this in, I think it was in 2000, right? Or 2000, it was not at the peak 
it was not peak zero interest rate money. It was like it was actually before the big the bigger ride up, I believe. Like from I a time perspective. It, yeah, it was it was earlier in the time before yeah. the peak. So I've heard them even say like they they did not sell at the peak. Like they, uh, you know, Sam had some regrets selling when he did, based off of like what he continued to see um, in terms of. And they were they were they were cash flow positive. So they also essentially bought an asset as well. So I wouldn't see it as necessarily just a pure write off for just the expense yep. they paid because I don't think they actually paid that high of a multiple. I think they actually probably got a pretty good deal <laughs> considering, but um, yeah, that's kind of where I sit with it. Only time will I, tell. And they'd have to really other have, stuff. Go ahead, Camille. <laughs> I, I had one, I think when you talk about creative economy, I think we focus on the 1% of people like the Lenny's of the world yeah. who are mm -hmm. making $200,000 a year. But there's a whole long tail of people who are just like grinding it out every single day and they're not able to break through. So I think like it's also important to like for every one Lenny, there's like hundreds of people who are just like, you know, struggling right on the creator. Economy. Yeah. So, yeah. I could, I could agree with that. I think definitely there's, there was a lot, there's more, I, I am more on your side with that one being fueled by extra money in the system because people that, you know, anyone, any people were looking for, yeah. Any businesses were looking to throw money at any audience because they had plenty of it and they were looking for other ways to grow. So, hey, this money's just sitting here. I raised at a massive valuation and let me, I need to do something with it. And now I can, I can buy audience like, oh, this guy has a, you know, list of 20,000 emails. I don't even, I don't even read it. I've never even heard of it, but sure. Let's, let's sponsor it for six months. We'll just buy that up right now. Yeah. 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 hundred yeah. percent. And even if the creator is fueled mostly by individuals, you know, like you said before, if it's like, am I going to buy groceries this week or am I buying that course? Like, well, obviously, you know, depending upon, let me just, you said, let me just get a job kind of a thing. It's, it's definitely, if that's the kind of market you're in, if those are the people you're trying to sell to, which often it is, right? You're trying to teach people how to, you know, or at least when I started up in the copywriter industry copywriters are like notorious for this like i've been a copywriter for two years i've written this mitch landing pages yeah. let me teach you now how to be a copywriter and it's all like snakes oil yeah. and showmanship um you know and so people are like well actually i kind of can't afford that right now i gotta go like you know pay rent so it's, <laughs> right. it's gonna be interesting it, it definitely is gonna be interesting because the ones i see that have will probably continue to remain are the ones that did before the doors got shut, did build a solid audience, built some semblance of community and engagement and connection. And then they're, they are the real deal selling real expertise. So it's, there's a lot of those like on Maven that are like, you know, people that were 20, 30 years in an industry, and now they had the opportunity to leave. And now they have a course and they did get in before the doors got shut in terms of like, you know, getting an audience on Twitter, started their newsletter just before like, you know, all the Twitter stuff happened. And yet they can go and charge, you know, three or $4,000 a pop to someone that will pay. And they, it's a lot of these are like legitimate courses. And, and so I think someone that has built that and now they've, as much as the doors have shut from a, you know, new acquisition perspective, but now they can have word of mouth. Now they have their product. Now they have other flywheels that are going and those people will be fine. But I think it's the, like you were saying, the 1%, that's that 1% that are going to do well with it. 
they might not have come out as easily, you know, would have taken them a lot yeah. more potential energy without the tech, without all the stuff, all the tools that got built in this economy. Um, but, but there is that like curve of in between the people that believe the things and maybe they've only done two years on the job, but they want to be an expert and they want to, you know, and if they, and sometimes they can sell these, sell a course on, on something and that's great. Uh, but, but there's more of those people I think that are kind of left yeah. in that area under the curve that are going to have a harder time. So. Yeah. There's all these ghost writing Twitter thread agencies now, and I just want to throw <laughs> up in my mouth. <laughs> and that's a whole nother conversation, honestly, that I wouldn't mind having with you guys is that with Twitter changing the culture of it, you know, of the users changing so dramatically, like I know my Twitter presence has changed quite a bit. Companies are leaving Twitter. It's changing how I use all social media platforms and like, you know, just the access and like, I'm not using Twitter anymore to get clients necessarily. Like, I really don't think people are going to be using it in a professional, honestly true sense for very much longer. Um, John used it as the, like, it's a dying mall, essentially, like your big brands have left and now you're going to be left with like your cheesy kiosks and stuff like that. And like, I don't want to be associated with the cheesy kiosk. So these creators are going to be left with less options. I mean, because to some extent, I am a creator in a little bit way as a consultant with the course and a newsletter. And that's not my sole income, but it is a stream. And so it's like, how is that going to change even the creator economy? So very interesting. I think it's going to accelerate the normalization. Like, yeah, you know, it was, oh my God, like all these Twitter threads and stuff, like get me so worked up. I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know what yeah. I mean. The the yeah. the sleazy engagement, the repetitive stuff. stuff that yeah, the yeah. engagement, that the and 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 they're and they're not talking from their expertise. They're pulling from other things. It's, it's not, not Wikipedia it's not, or like it's not their own numbers. story. It's not yeah. It's it's like they're repackaging a story that Forbes wrote you know five years right. ago. And they're in a pod, so all the comments are like, "This is fire! Great post!" Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen those okay. for sure. All right. Well, Camille, thank you so much for being on. Josh, do you have anything you'd like to add or sign off with? I think that's it. This might be our longest episode if we publish this all in one part, <laughs> which I think it should. I think it has a yeah. continuity to it all. But um, no, I think that's it. I think we, we hit on the topic. We both got to discuss kind of our viewpoints and, and uh, of the zero interest rate kind of environment and some of the things that, you know, happened or fueled or where we sit on that. So it was a lot of fun. Thanks yeah. for being on, Camille. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later. Thanks.